So we um, are in a series through the Sermon on the Mount uh, as a church, and we've actually spent the last 15 weeks with the break for Palm Sunday and Easter, 15 weeks through the Sermon on the Mount, and this week is actually our final week in the Sermon on the Mount, which we made it. For those of you who haven't enjoyed it, this is the last week of that one. Uh, so you only got to make it through like another 30 minutes. Um, but if you have a Bible, turn to, to Matthew chapter 7. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching, uh, this kind of, this full example of Jesus' teaching. And we're, we've been reading the, the version in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to pick up in Matthew 7, uh, verse 24. So I'll give you some time to turn there as I turn there myself. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We're going to pray one more time. Jesus, we come to you as we open up the scriptures this morning and we read your words, uh, which you spoke some 2,000 years ago, and they were relevant then and they're relevant for us today. And I pray that through the course of the next 20, 30 minutes, that as we dive into this, that we would come to a deeper understanding of what you would communicate to each and every one of us and what it is that you want us to build our lives on and what you want us to do with the words that you have spoken. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what we want to do this morning uh, is really focus on this text from 724 through 29. Um, but the, the key point is that this, verses 24 through 29, they don't stand on their own. They're not this separate teaching. They're not something totally separate. They connect to everything Jesus has just said. In verse 24, he says, therefore. And remember, anytime that you read in the scriptures, if you read the word therefore, you want to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? It's like a good like seminary joke, I guess. And he laughed at it. It's great. So you want to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because what it does is it connects what Jesus is saying to everything he's just said. Uh, Jesus' teaching about building uh, is not something that stands on its own. He's connecting what he said to everything that has just gone before it. In, in real life, this would have been over the course of a few minutes, uh, but in the life of our church, it's been what we've been hearing over the last 15 weeks or, or what we've been reading over the last 15 weeks. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, which words? Everything he's just said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two different types of people. There's the wise person and there's the foolish person. Jesus here uses symbolism and language that puts him in a long line of wise teachers. 
of, of spiritual sages who point out that generally speaking, there's two ways of life. There's a wise way of living and there's a foolish way of living. If you uh, turn to the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Proverbs, you see this all over the place. So here's a couple selections from the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You have this, this kind of, uh, these two ways of living presented side by side, the foolish way and the wise way. Proverbs 2 goes on, says, My son, if you accept my words, so it's Solomon as if he's teaching his son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. You kind of get the idea. And then, and then Proverbs 3. So these are just the first three chapters of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, the, the end of the chapter, chapter ends like this. It says, For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. So, so Solomon and the scriptures, they communicate to us a lot of things about wisdom. And there's one thing that I think we have to, in order to understand wisdom and what the scriptures teach about wisdom, we have to understand really two poetical uh, devices that the Proverbs use. And I promise this will make sense, or I hope it will make sense <laughs> as we get back to it. But one of the things is, it's called synonymous parallelism. So in Proverbs 2, there is this example of where two words or two ideas or two themes are presented in parallel to each other, and they help define one another. The, here's an example, and I color-coded it so that it hopefully makes sense. So it says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Words and commands are meant to be synonymous parallels turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Wisdom and understanding are parallels. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, insight and understanding are parallels. It kind of makes sense, right? So there's synonymous parallelism, but then there's also what's called antithetical parallelism. So sometimes when they're compared, they're shown to be the antithesis, the opposite of one another. So the next slide is the passage from Proverbs 3 we just read. It says, For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. Perverse and upright are, are compared. They're opposites to one another. Wicked and righteous, opposites to one another. Mockers, humble and oppressed, they're opposites. Wise and fools are shown to be opposites. Well, why does any of that matter? Well, the, the point that I want to make is that when we think of wisdom, we often think of the intellect. 
We think of smarts. We think of intelligence. We think of IQ. We think of knowledge. We think of the intellect. We use language of the brain. But when the scriptures talk about wisdom, the scriptures talk about both knowledge and understanding, but also right living, upright and righteous, humble. The, the language of the scriptures includes language of how you live. And, and so when we understand biblical wisdom, when we hear the words wise man and foolish man, what we shouldn't just import is our own understandings of wisdom and foolishness. We should understand the, the biblical concepts of wisdom and foolishness. So it's not only that, that the wise have right understanding, but it's that the wise have a right understanding of who God is and who they are in light of that, and that this causes them to action. As we read in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2, they do what is right and just and fair. And on the other hand, there, there are those who are foolish or, or not wise, and they're compared with people, who, they're mockers, um, they're those who hate knowledge and those who don't fear the Lord and people who reject the instructions from God. The foolish man, isn't, they're not just someone who's ignorant and, and they just don't know any better, but it's actually someone who has rejected God's teaching or has heard it and had done nothing with it. They've just heard it and listened and done nothing with it. So when Jesus uses the words wise and Jesus uses the words foolish, they have a lot attached to them. So if you spend time in the wisdom literature and the scriptures and Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, you will, you will see this theme of wise and foolish developed time and time again. And here's one of the points. When, when we have gone through the Gospel of Matthew, we've spent a lot of time talking about Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Son of David, Jesus as the Son of God. We've, we've focused on a lot of these identities of Jesus. One of the ones that I want to, we just have time to today that we haven't had in the past is Jesus as the perfect wise teacher. So Jesus is the perfect wise teacher. Uh, we focused, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is this genealogy where Jesus, we, we're told Jesus is the son of Abraham, he's the son of David. Well, who was the first son of David? It was Solomon, who was considered the wisest king. And so what I think intentionally, the Gospel writer Matthew presents to us that just like Solomon was, was the wisest king to live, Jesus is now this, this wisdom embodied. He is the wise teacher. Just like Solomon was almost all the way there, Jesus is actually all the way there. Because Jesus, unlike all of the rest of wise teachers over the course of past history, from times before Jesus or times since Jesus, Jesus actually is the one who's been able to live out everything that he has taught. So Jesus, through this Sermon on the Mount, he's actually giving us an interpretation of what wise living is all about. It's, it's not only how to do what is morally right, but it's to do things as God designed them, to do them well. And, and what, what are the sorts of things, as we think back over the last 15 weeks, what are those sorts of things? Well, I'm going to recap them. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, and you go to verse 21, we see Jesus present the idea that foolishness, it's not just avoiding murder, but, but foolishness is the, it's the heart posture that gets angry and standoffish and, and refuses to forgive and refuses to work for reconciliation. But wisdom is living with love towards others, your, your neighbor and even your enemy. Further on, Jesus talks about foolishness. He says foolishness is not, it's not just about not committing adultery, which is definitely foolish, but foolishness is lusting and, and wanting to control and exert power over others. 
It's, it's treating others as sexual objects. But wisdom, wisdom is being committed to seeing dignity in others. It's being committed and faithful to your spouse or your future spouse and not viewing the guy or the girl as an object or a thing, but rather as a person made in the image of God. In verse 31, Jesus talks about foolishness not just being uh, following the letter of the law by giving a certificate of divorce, but, but foolishness is saying that, oh, because I followed the, that, I'm okay. But really, wisdom is living with covenant commitment. Later on, in verse 33, Jesus talks about making false promises and false oaths. He says, it's not just, it's not just doing, like saying the right things, because what we can do when we make false promises is we manipulate relationships. We make ourselves seem more reliable or more powerful. That's foolishness. But wisdom is living with humility and simplicity and willingness to, not to control your relationships. Verse 38, uh, foolishness is loving those like you and hating those who are not like you. That's what foolishness is. But wisdom is loving your neighbor and your enemy. Willingness is the, or wisdom is the willingness to love those you even consider the other. By the time we get to chapter 6, as Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that foolishness is parading your righteousness around for everyone to see. Uh, look at how much I give. Look at how much I pray. Look at how miserable I am because I've been fasting. I'm so spiritual. And, and that foolishness, those fools get their reward by the, the praise that they get from humanity. But wisdom is practicing your righteousness for God alone and God's approval alone. The, the wise have a, war, a reward awaiting them. By the time we get to verse 19, we see that foolishness is being a slave to money. Uh, it's, it's being a slave to money and possessions and consumption, and it's being consumed by our need to consume. And, and then we develop this mindset where we have to serve money or we have to serve comfort or we have to serve pleasure and that inherently causes anxiety because we will never ever have enough. And so this anxiety rises within us because we serve money or pleasure or comfort and we're anxious. And Jesus tells us not to worry and not to worry about money because wisdom is actually serving God and focusing on tasks that have a deeper or wider or longer impact, seeking God's kingdom first. And then by the time we get to the beginning of chapter 7, we see that foolishness is, is judging others with this lens that neglects our own need for transformation. Foolishness is saying, hey, you've got a, you've got a speck in your eye, and neglecting the own log in your own eye. But wisdom is realizing that we have a plank in our eye. That's wisdom. So Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, paints this picture of foolishness and wisdom. And, and Jesus says at the end, when he summarizes everything he just says, he's, everything through the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the wise person is the one who hears everything I've just said and puts it into practice. That person is like a wise builder who did the hard work of digging down to bedrock to build a house on a solid foundation. That's the imagery that Jesus gives. Jesus says the wise person is the one who takes these truths about who Jesus is and how he has designed life and, and builds their life around that. That's the wise builder. The, the wise person is the one who listens to Jesus' words and not just gains head knowledge, but the person who actually puts them into practice and grows in them day by day 
week by week, month by month, year by year. Jesus says the foolish person, on the other hand, is the one who hears these words but does nothing with them. That person is like a builder who constructs a house that looks the same from the outside. And this is key. Because the the foolish builder, the house looks the same. The difference is what's at the core. Because for the foolish builder, the core, the foundation, what's at the deepest level, is actually completely weak and anemic. Jesus says the foolish person might look just the same externally, but internally it's all wrong. They, They might even not commit adultery or not murder, they, they might not kill anyone, they might even volunteer to pray publicly every week at church. But what's deep down, they might be filled with lust, they might be filled with anger, they might be filled with this fear of humanity or this desire only to please people and get praise from people. Jesus says that that sort of person, that's foolishness, that person has built their life on a weak foundation. So they are two houses, and externally they look the same, Internally, deep down, they're different. What's deep down, what's internal, that's what actually makes a difference in the storm. That's the difference between standing through the storm, the wind and the waves crashing, and, and when the wind comes, the whole thing coming down. That's the difference. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have tried to, through the teachings, tried to point out that what Jesus is after is not just behavior modification. He's not just after you changing your behavior. He's after complete inner transformation. After complete transformation. See, because more than just being the wise teacher, Jesus himself is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom embodied. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells the church in Corinth that Jesus is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. So so more than just being a wise teacher, Jesus actually embodies everything that he's taught. Like I mentioned before, he's the only teacher in all of history who has completely practiced what he has preached. No one before that could say that, and no one since then can say that. Jesus has actually been faithful to do everything that he has taught us. And, And that's why the call of Christian discipleship is not simply just to listen to Jesus' teachings, though we should do that. The call of Christian discipleship is to be transformed, to become more and more like the wise teacher. So not just to listen to his teachings, but to become more and more like him. Paul tells the church in Rome that they are being conformed to the image of Christ. And then he tells the church in Corinth that they're being transformed into the Lord's image. The language of scripture is transformation. And that's because the call on the Christian life is yes, to live wisely, but it's ultimately to become more and more like wisdom embodied by become more and more like Jesus himself. Because it's only through that transformation that we can actually be the wise people of Jesus' image. Uh, his, his picture that he gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just a matter of, of just doing the right things externally. Again, that's Jesus' point. The whole point is inner transformation, the need for deep down foundational transformation. And, and following Jesus, Christian discipleship is, is the, the call to live, love, think, serve, and lead like Jesus. So as we look back and look today at, at Jesus' summary of the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're forced to ask the question, how is my building going? Are we putting these words of Jesus into practice like the wise man, or are we just hearing them like the foolish one? 
as a leader, I need to ask, is our vision as a church, are we actually accomplishing that vision of being a family of missionary disciples? Are we actually doing that? Are we actually growing to become more and more like Jesus? As we think back over the last year, so for those of you who don't know, this church is uh, less than a year old as a, a church that gathers every Sunday. So we were meeting once a month, and last May was uh, when we transitioned from being once a month to meeting in Audubon Park every single week. So as I think back over the past year, is what we're doing as a church, is it actually accomplishing that, that point of becoming more and more like Jesus? Are, are we just learning more and, and growing in knowledge and understanding? Or are we learning to do what is right and just and fair, as the wisdom literature teaches us? And this is the question that we have to wrestle with as we close out the Sermon on the Mount. How is your building going? What are you doing with the words of Jesus? And the point of my asking that is to force each and every one of us to, to, to wrestle with that question. I have over the past week, because I've had the privilege of knowing this is what the text is, and I've been working with it all week. So I've had to reflect on this over the past week. And you can ask Jenna, my wife, uh, but there are plenty of things for, my, for, for me to grow in. There are plenty of days in the week or minutes in the day where I look way more like the foolish man than the wise man. Which may sound funny to some of you because maybe externally the house looks like it's really strong and uh, has a great foundation. But there's times in my life where I can be the most impatient person. I, I, can, I can be filled with impatience and a lack of grace. And, and it, that really manifests itself. I just kind of lash out. And it's not like loud yelling anger, but... I just get really, really frustrated really easily. And as I reflect on that, I, what I realize is it's just I have a lack of grace and I have a lack of patience. And I get really selfish. I, I make things that totally are not about me, I make them about myself. And so as I reflect on this, what I, what I have to realize is that there are days or hours or weeks that I look more like the foolish man than like the wise man. And so I, I want to acknowledge that because we're all on a journey. That we're all on, on a sense, this, this pilgrimage as we follow after Jesus. Not a single one of us has it all figured out. Not a single one of us has arrived. Not a single one of us has it perfect or have it mastered. And, and those of us who teach, it's not because we're perfect, but it's because hopefully we have gifts to share or education to share or experiences to share uh, that hopefully serve the body of Christ, just like each one of us have a role to play in serving to build one another up. So I, I share that just to kind of give that kind of back, background and caveat, but two, because I, I want each and every one of us to be able to reflect like that, to reflect on that question. What are we doing with these words of Jesus? Are we putting them into practice like the wise man, or are we just hearing them? Normally what we do every single week as a church is we, we take communion together. So... Um, what, what we will end up doing in the next few minutes is we will uh, take communion, which is this representation of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Is, is wisdom embodied. It's him going to the cross and taking on the penalty of sin on our behalf, being sacrificed and giving us a new covenant. So the, the body of Christ, which is broken for us, and the blood of Christ, which is shed for us, that's what we take every single week. And for those of us who call on the name of Jesus as followers of him, we get to celebrate that every week and we're welcome to the table. But 
But if you turn, just turn with me in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, if you have a Bible. Paul teaches that that same church in Corinth that I've referenced a couple times now, he talks to them about how they receive communion. And they had all kinds of jacked up stuff going on in their church, which just points out that God's church, there's always, there's always been things that have been wrong and there's been people who have done crazy things. So if you read through the, the letter, 1 Corinthians, you'll, you'll read about some of that stuff. But in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, he, Paul gives these directions about how to receive communion. So he, he, he talks about how they're going about it the wrong way. And then in verse 27, he, he, he warns the church, he says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? You can read like a thousand books on it and you'll never be able to figure it out. There's a lot of debate on it, but, but what we can all agree on is that Paul warns the church that when they come to the table of communion, there's a, there's a bit of self-reflection that has to happen first in order to receive it rightly. That, that we should reflect on when we come to the table, are we coming in, in a manner that has just assumed that, well, I've done all the external things right and I don't need to worry about the internal transformation. Has it just assumed that? Because uh, then I think we approach the table in an unworthy way. But I think approaching the table in a worthy way includes the acknowledgement that there is room and areas to grow and that there is grace that abounds to empower us for that growth. Because it's not, again, it's not just about us changing our behavior or modifying what we do, but it's about internal transformation, and we cannot do that alone. It it requires the Spirit of God indwelling us to actually change our motivations and change our heart and change what's deep down inside of us for us to accomplish any of that. So as we come to the table this morning, what I want to invite is both Jacob and Annie back up here so that they can play a little music in the background. But I want to create space for each of us to reflect over the next two or three minutes. uh, To create space so that we can think about how we are building. To think about whether or not we're putting these words of Jesus into practice or if we are just listening to them and just hearing them. So over the next few minutes, uh, I I will pray for us and then just create space for each of us to pray individually. Um, with music in the background so that it's not silent and hopefully less awkward that way. But what I, what I want us to do is spend time asking God these two questions. I think I have a slide for the two questions. Maybe? Yep. So one, what are the ways we're putting Jesus' words into practice? And two, what are the ways we're just hearing them? So what are the ways we're putting Jesus' words into practice like the wise builder? And what are the ways that we are just hearing them? So nothing really new this morning, just reflecting on what Jesus has been teaching us over the last 15 weeks. And so I want to create the space for us to listen to that. If you have a Bible, feel free to flip through those passages in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then I'll come back up in, in two minutes or so and then lead us uh, as, we, as we take communion. But if you would pray with me. Jesus, as we come to you, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith, we acknowledge that there are ways that we 
There are ways that we are like the wise man. Because of your spirit and because of your power, we are able to put the things into practice that you have spoken to us. And based on our personality type or based on our our situation, some of those things come more easily and some of them have taken time. And, And we're thankful for the ways that you have given us the grace to grow and transform. But the reality is that there are times in our lives when we are more like the foolish person than like the wise person. So as we reflect this morning, God, would you speak to us in answer of those two questions? What are the ways that we have have put your words into practice and what are the ways that we have just heard them? So now as we, we listen for your voice, God, would you speak to each and every one of the hearts gathered here in worship today? 